Well, we're in Genesis chapter 10. We're going to look at the whole chapter today. And you're like, wow, 32 verses. A lot of names in there too. I'm going to do my best this morning. But we're going to be talking about God being the God of the nations. <clears throat> and uh, what we're going to see in this passage of Scripture is 70 uh, individuals that are listed. Or 70, um, not, well, I'm talking more about that too. Or 70 nations. But... Um, that's over like four or five generations. But I want to read you this illustration as we begin this morning. The Guinness World Records provides information about the most prolific mother ever. This is what it says. The greatest officially recorded number of children born to one mother is 69. To the wife of Fyodor Vasilyev, between 1707 and 1782, a peasant from Shuya, Russia... And in 27 confinements, so that's 27 pregnancies, she gave birth to 16 pairs of twins, seven sets of triplets, and four sets of quadruplets. <laughs> Can you believe that? That's something else. Numerous contemporaneous sources, so contemporaneous just means in that day and age, during that time, the 1700s, exist which suggests that this seemingly improbable and statistically unlikely story is true and she's the woman with most children. Now the case uh, was reported to Moscow by the monastery of Nikolsky on the 27th of February 1782 which had recorded every birth. So this monastery had recorded every birth. It's noted that by this time only two of the children who were born in the period 1725 to 1765 failed to survive their infancy. Only two. 67 children. Now, this uh, husband, Fyodor, he, um, when his wife passed away, they believe her name was Valentina, uh, he remarried, and uh, uh, he had a total ch a number of children. I think it was like 84, 87 children, so he had uh, multiples, again, with, a, with another lady, uh, his second wife. And so, you know, that's a long time ago, 1700s. Uh, we, most of us think about the Duggars, right, when we think about a family with a lot of children today. 19 and counting. Well, they kind of stopped at 19. Um, and so uh, Jim, Bob, and Michelle had all those children themselves, and most of us can't even fathom having that many children, but God has truly blessed them. Think of the Bates family as well, good friends of the Duggars. They had, I think, 19 uh, children also. I was thinking about that then with uh, my own family, my, like my parents, and you know, uh, they came from a generation where there were large families, and so my dad was uh, one of five. He had four sisters, he was the only boy. You can pray for him. Uh, my mom was one of 11. She had nine sisters and one brother. You could pray for my Uncle Harry, too, because, you know, <laughs> he's the only guy. On Judy's side of the family, her dad was one of 11 with four brothers and six sisters. And then Judy's mom had one sister. That was a smaller family. But <laughs> you know, the Lord's blessed Judy and I with three incredible boys that we're so proud of, how God's using them and how he's leading and guiding them. In their lives. We've been blessed with two wonderful daughter-in-laws, one granddaughter, another granddaughter on the way, and, and a grandson due at the beginning of August. So, In our lives, we had one miscarriage between our middle and our youngest. Um, we always tell everybody that was our girl, um, and so she's already in heaven. And our second son had a bump removed from his belly when he was really, really young that had cartilage and hair and other items in it that made us believe that that was his twin. So can you imagine having two of him around? 
He's the one that keeps, keeps us hopping. But, um, now, we probably would have had more children, but the last two pregnancies, Judy dealt uh, with having to be on bed rest for the last two months of both those pregnancies. It was just hard on her body, so we determined not to continue to have any children. But we were privileged to have two sisters stay with us for a period of time under a private guardianship. And that was pretty neat. We've, and we've talked about adoption. We've talked about fostering. We've never done either of those, but uh, it's been something that's been in our hearts and in our minds. So I want you to take a moment to think about your own family. How many siblings do you have? How many siblings did your parents have? And so I wanted to just get a little bit of feedback this morning. If you're joining us online, you can just put it in the comments section, and uh, Judy will let me know if you put anything in there. But uh, which, uh, whose family, whose immediate family had the most children? So of your family, you're thinking about your brothers and sisters, uh, just call out the, the size of your family. How many? Ten? Eight? Nine? Any more than ten? Sue, you're the winner. I don't have a prize for you today. I'm sorry, but um, any, anybody online? Anything coming down from online? Now, how about your parents' families? How many siblings did they have? Let's hear those numbers. Zero. Seventeen? Wow. Fifteen. Wow. Is seventeen the highest? Wow. So you're not quite up to the Duggar numbers yet, but uh, we're getting there, right? <laughs> Anything online? Okay. They, it might take them a, a couple of minutes to catch up. Uh, there's a little bit of a delay, but... You know, as Moses continues to write about Noah's family, we see in Genesis chapter 10 what many scholars call the table of nations. It's from Noah's three sons that the earth is repopulated after the flood. And we see in the table of nations is 70 descendants of Noah that span four to five generations. Compare that to Mrs. Vasiliev, who had 69 children by herself. Wow. We realize that the table of nations does not reflect all of the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Yepheth, but certain ones have been selected that will help us as we continue to study Genesis and the rest of the Pentateuch. Many of the names listed played a significant role in the life of the Israelites and even those people groups. And we'll learn today from this passage of Scripture our big idea that God is concerned about all people. He's concerned about all people. And so as we think about that, let's just commit our time to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we just come to you today. I come to you as a a chipped and cracked vessel, but with gratitude in my heart that you use me in spite of those chips and those cracks. Lord, today, in humility, I submit myself to you and ask that you would speak through me, that your people would hear your voice today. Lord, I pray that anything that comes from me would not be remembered, but everything that comes from you would go deep into our hearts and minds and transform us by the power of your word. And so we commit ourselves to you now. Dear Heavenly Father, give us eyes to see and ears to hear what you want us to learn. And we commit ourselves to you now. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. We see an introductory statement in verse 1. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to turn there. It's Genesis chapter 10. 
And this is what God's word says. This is the account of Shame, Ham, and Yepheth, Noah's sons, who themselves had sons after the flood. And so what we see here with this introductory statement is, this begins the fourth toledot. We've been talking about those, and the toledot is just the Hebrew word that means the account of, the origins of. And this is the fourth one, and it's, uh, here it's the account of the line of Noah's sons. We just came off of the section where it was the account of Noah's uh, line, <clears throat> and this is the line of Noah's sons, which will carry through the Tower of Babel narrative that's uh, in chapter 11, verse 9. And then there'll be the fifth toledot that will come, and that will be um, then what we'll see is the, the line or the account or the origins of, of shame. So shame, Ham, and Yepheth had sons after the flood, which fulfilled the command from the Lord, found in Genesis chapter 9, verse 7. This is what it says, As for you, be fruitful and increase in number, multiply on the earth and increase upon it. The increasing in number and multiplying is what we see in the table of nations. It's generation upon generation. And in most lists uh, of Noah's sons, it's in the order of uh, shame, Ham, and Yepheth. And we see that in verse 1 here. There's significance to the listing, uh, shame first, even though he is the middle child. And we'll see it more uh, in Genesis chapter 11, verses 10 to 32, uh, where it goes to Abram, comes through the line of shame, which means that David and Jesus descended from shame. Now, when Moses begins the list of, uh, to list the descendants of Noah, he begins with Yepheth and ends with shame. And this is important, too, because after the narrative about the Tower of Babel, shame's line continues. So we see a genealogy here before the Tower of Babel. Then we'll see the Tower of Babel, and then it'll go back into and complete the, the line of, of shame through Abraham. <clears throat> and so that's what we'll be looking at into the future here. And uh, chapters 12 to 25 in Genesis will recount the story of Abraham. So we begin with Yepheth's line. And I, like I told you, there's a whole bunch of names in here we're going to look at, and, and I'll, try to, I'll try to pronounce them as best that I can. <laughs> so you're going to see um, just a, a flow chart come up that will kind of help you as we look at this. So the sons of Yepheth are Gomer, Magog, Madai, Yavon, Tuval, Meshach, and Tiras. Now Moses only highlights the next generation of Gomer and Yavon here, so we see Yepheth's grandsons. And they first through Gomer's sons are Ashkenaz, Rephath, Togarma, so those three. And then from Yavon's line, we see Elisha, Tershish, the Katim, and the Rodanim. Or in some translations, it's the Dodamin. And so uh, all three uh, genealogies contain a combination of three kinds of information, as Matthew's outlines in his commentary. Individual names like Nimrod that we'll see in just a moment, Peleg, and Aver. But we also see a lot of people groups listed including tribal names and nations. And they're easy to spot because they either have the plural suffix I-M, that's, that's the English letters, at the end. So, for example, the Katim, the, the, yeah, the Katim, 
or the rhodanim, you see the, well, that's the I then, which is the gentilic suffix. And so you would also see that gentilic suffix in like the example of Jebusites. So the ites, all the ites that you're going to see here are just people groups. And then finally we see place names like Babylon and Nineveh. Hamilton says this. He says, it's clear that the descendants of Yepheth are primarily, if not exclusively, ethnic groups that represent maritime nations, peoples who practice the profession of seafaring and whose interchange was largely by sea. Now, this will help you to understand that as we look at the map this morning, because they were located in the north, northeast, and northwest of Israel. So look at the red area that you see at the very top and off to the, to the right side. That's all the descendants of Yepheth. And so you have the Black Sea to the north. You have the Persian Gulf off to the one side. You have the Mediterranean Sea um, and all those different places. Uh, uh, so they are traveling around by boat. They're probably doing a lot of stuff on the water. And so that's Yepheth's line. Now what we see in verses 6 to 20 is Ham's line. And so the best way to... In the Hebrew, you have to act like you're clearing your throat when you say his name. Ham. So you want to try that with me this morning? Ham. For those of you that are about ready to cough or needed to clear your throat, there you just say his name every time. And we're going to see um, his sons and his grandsons and his great-grandsons and down through this generations. And so uh, let's look at those. You see those beginning in verse 6. So the sons of Ham are Cush, Mitzrayim, Put, and Kenaan. Again, Moses only highlights certain sons, grandsons, and great-grandsons because he's trying to get to particular people. Ham's um, grandsons and great-grandsons, we see first uh, through three of his sons. First is Cush's sons. We see here that it's Savah, Havilah, Savtah, Ramah, Sabteka, and eventually we'll see Nimrod, and there's a little aside that we'll come back to in verses 8 to 12. But then we see um, Ham's great-grandsons through uh, Rama's line, Shiva and Didon. Then his other son, Mitzrayim, we see this, his sons there, and they are Ludi, Anamim, Lahavim, Nafkahim, Pathrusi, Koslkem, and Koftor. And then finally through uh, Ham's son, Kenaan, we see here Sidon, Heth, Yeb- Yebusi, Emory, Gergeshi, Chivi, Erki, Sini, Ervad, Samari, and Hamath. Now, in verses 8 to 12, we see this little aside note about one of these um, sons. It's Nimrod. He was perhaps the founder of the first imperial kingdom. His kingdom included all of Mesopotamia, which included Babylonia in the south and Assyria in the north. Moses lists four cities that were part of Shinar, which is Babylonia. And next, he lists four cities in the region of Assyria. So Nimrod made uh, a name for himself by doing bold and daring deeds. His name actually means rebel 
or we shall rebel, which is important since he built the city where the Tower of Babel would be erected. And uh, Pastor Mark's going to talk a lot more about that and what that represents. What were they trying to accomplish with the Tower of Babel? And I'm not going to give that away. I'm going to let Mark share that with you. The parenthetical note about Nimrod is significant because the two regions he founded played an important part in Israel's history. If you just think about it, they were taken into captivity by the Babylonians and the Assyrians all the time. (laughs) As they rebelled against God, he would send them into exile, and then when they would return to him, um, he would bring them back to the promised land. In verses 18b to 20, we see them filling the earth. Again, the the concept of that. Uh, We see the descendants of Ham are filling the... Fulfilling the command of Genesis chapter 9, verse 1. That's to be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. And so again, if you look at this map, the green section is Ham's uh, clans and territory. And so uh, they're filling the earth and, and uh, just being all, all around uh, the final person we're going to talk about in just a moment. But We also see here in this passage of Scripture that the Canaanite clans scattered and expanded their borders. Now, Canaanites are right in what is modern-day Israel. And so the names that you see listed there, um, let let me just turn to that passage for you, or those verses, I mean. It starts at the second half of verse 18. You know, later the, the Canaanite clan scattered and the borders of Canaan reached from Sidon toward Gerar and Gaza and then toward Sodom, Gomorrah, Adma, and Zeboim, and as far as Lasha. And so, I don't know if you can see them very well. I can't from here, but, but I know where they are because I put them on there. <laughs> but, uh, you know, like Gerar and, and uh, Gaza are kind of down uh, towards the Mediterranean Sea. And then there's like four cities. And there's a red circle at the very bottom. And you have the four cities of like Zeboim and, and um, oh, what was the other couple ones? Uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and um, Adma. And then uh, Lasha is kind of just north uh, there on the, on the Dead Sea. But th- they just expanded throughout the entire uh, promised land area of Canaan. And so that's what they're talking about there. And so that completes the genealogy of Ham, which leads us to Shame's line. We see in verses 21 to 31. Now there's some important information shared about Shame's uh, line here at the very beginning of verse 21. His older brother was Yepheth, so we have the order then that he was the oldest, and then you had Shame, and then you have um, Ham as the youngest. And he was the ancestor of all the sons of Aver, his great-grandson. They put that there, and that's important, even though we don't talk about him until a little bit later on. But that's the, there's the significance of that. We need to pay attention. Who is this Aver that he's talking about here? And so let's look again. You'll see another flow chart come up for uh, Shame's line. We see his sons, um, Alam, Ashur, Erpakshad, Lud, and Aram. Moses again only highlights the genealogies of two of the five sons. Shem's grandsons, great-grandsons, great-great-grandsons, and great-great-great-grandsons is what we're going to look at next. And so from Aram's sons, we see it's Uts, Chul, Gether, and Mash. Now, in uh, like the NIV, it has... Uh, Meshach, again, but when you look into the Hebrew, it's two different Hebrew words. And so other translations translated not Meshach, but as Mash. Uh, so it's, it's not the same person. Um, that they're helping to make that clear here. 
Erpakshad's sons or son is Shalak, and Shalak's son is Aver. And then Aver's sons are Peleg and Yoktan. Now, Peleg's name means division. And that's kind of important. Most uh, commentators say that, um, you know, it's the division that they're talking about there is this um, Tower of Babel and what happens with the confusion of the languages and the dispersion of the people. And so my guess is perhaps Peleg was born during that time. And so his parents are like, man, everything's just falling apart. <laughs> We're not together anymore. We're going to name our child Peleg, division. And what I think is going to be so significant, and I'm not going to give too much of it away, but God uses that negative division to bring unity with him through Abram and through Jesus. Isn't that, I think that's fascinating, right? He takes something that we would consider negative, this whole idea of division, and yet brings good out of that. Then what we see next here is uh, Yoktan's sons, Almodad, Shalef, Hetzermaveth, Yahug, Hadaram, Uzal, Dikla, Uval, Abimael, uh, Shiva, Ophir, Chavilah, and Yovan. Shem's descendants were located east and southeast of Canaan. And so again, you'll see the map, and this is the yellow area. Moses identifies the region where they lived. It stretched from Meshah uh, toward Safar in the eastern hill country. And we have the finishing statement that's been a part of all three genealogies concerning each son. We're made aware of the fact that these were the clans and languages and their territories and nations. And so, you know, we have this closing statement then in verse 32, which is, reminds us again that we're just, what we just read is the account of Noah's sons. And the purpose of this section in Scripture is highlighted in verse 1 and verse 32. It was to repopulate the earth and to fill it. So we've gone through the genealogy, but how does this apply to us? What, what can we learn from this? What can we take away from these genealogical accounts found in, in Genesis chapter 10? I know most of you are wondering, why is Pastor Stewart preaching about genealogies instead of Pastor Mark, right? He loves genealogy. He has a t-shirt about genealogies. I haven't seen it yet, but I heard he got one. Or two. He's got two shirts about genealogy. So he, he got to preach a little bit on some genealogy in the past, but... Um, Warren Wearsby does an excellent job of kind of highlighting four main principles that I'm just going to use as kind of a, a catalyst to go a little bit deeper. And so the first principle is this. Jehovah God is the Lord of the nations, which means that he's in control and he keeps his promises. All throughout Genesis so far, we've seen how God is in control. After Adam and Eve sinned, right? God brought restoration through animal sacrifice and he started the process of redemption for mankind through the line of Seth because Cain killed his brother Abel, right? This murderer, we can't have the Messiah coming through that. So Seth was born, and then uh, God's word tells us, as we learned, that it's during Seth's time that people started turning back to the Lord. 
After God destroyed the earth by flood, he, he brought restoration through Noah and his family. And as we'll see over the next few weeks with the Tower of Babel and the, con- with the continuation of Shame's genealogy, God confused their language but continued his promise of redemption through the line of uh, Shame to Abraham. Noah's prophecy about his sons came true. We see some biblical support for the fact that Jehovah God is the Lord of the nations. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, verse 8, we read these words. When the Most High gave the nations their inheritance, when He divided all mankind, He set up boundaries for the peoples according to the number of the sons of Israel. See, God's in control. He's in control of the nations. Acts chapter 17, Paul talks about it. Verses 26 to 28. From one man He made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth, and he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. As some of our own poets have said, we are his offspring. God is still in control and Lord of the nations today. I want you to grasp that today. I want you to hold on to that truth today. It's all over the news right now about Russian hackers infiltrating certain companies in the United States. And it's happened multiple times this year. And that can make us feel uncertain and fearful, can it? About our security, about our identity, about our finances. Like, what are they going to do? Are they going to come in and, and just steal my identity? Are they going to just mess everything up? But I want to encourage you that God is in control, even of Russian hackers. He's still the God of the nation of Russia. This past week, we learned about the assassination of the president of Haiti. But God is the God of Haiti. He's the God of the nations. We may be concerned about the political climate in our own nation, but be encouraged, God is in control. He knows what he's doing. None of this came as a surprise to him. He's not sitting up there going, oh my goodness, I can't believe those Russians hacked the United States. Oh, I can't believe that the, you know, the Haitian president was assassinated. Oh, I can't believe what's going on there in the United States with the politics and with the division that's happening. Some people may be concerned about China's influence and control within the global community, but guess what? God is still greater than China. I want us to hold on to that truth today because that just brings peace, doesn't it? To know that God is the God of nations. He's the Lord of the nations. And maybe you just need to take that first next step today on the back of your communication card, and that's to put my trust and faith in the God of the nations when I feel afraid or insecure. A second principle that Warren Wearsby points out is this. All nations belong to the same human family. Here's some biblical support for that. Acts chapter 17, verse 26, the very beginning of that. It says, From one man he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. We all come from Noah. Proverbs 22, 2. Rich and poor have this in common. The Lord is the maker of them all. So not even economics makes us from, come from a different family. All from one human family. I like what Atkins says in his commentary. All human people, even of different national and cultural identities, are of the same origin, have the same dignity, and belong in the same world. This undercuts all human divisiveness based on nationality, culture, and race. However good, however rich national and cultural diversity can be, it should never be allowed to cloud the more fundamental fact that all human people share the same nature, 
breathe the same air, live on the same earth, and know their life to the same God. As followers of Jesus Christ, we have to embrace this principle and truth. We should never have any racist thoughts or feelings. We do. It happens. That should not be a part of who we are as followers of Jesus Christ. We're all part of the same human family. The old saying is blood is thicker than water, right? And it simply um, and supposedly means the family is more important than friendships or family bonds are closer than friendships. And that's important for this principle and this truth today. Since we all come from one man, we are all family. That includes every nationality and race. Now, when we listen to the news and the political leaders in our country, it doesn't take long to realize that as a nation, we don't believe this biblical truth. You hear some, some news outlets say, we haven't come any distance in racism. That's not true. We've come a long way from the 1950s, 1960s. We've come a long way. But they want to continue to be divisive. In the news, they highlight our differences. We hear about the white police officer that shoots and kills a black man or woman. They always love to use those descriptive words because it incites uh, just uh, anger within us. We hear about violence against different ethnic groups or races. Politicians are making ridiculous claims about the Declaration of Independence being racist. If you heard that over the holiday, that, that's ridiculous. Our educational system is trying to teach our children that simply the color of their skin determines whether they are racist or not. All this stuff is about being divisive, about highlighting our differences. Our holidays highlight our differences. There's holidays and months that are dedicated to different races and cultures. And while it's wonderful to celebrate our heritage, it should never overshadow that we've all come from one man. And as followers of Jesus Christ, we need to be careful that we don't focus on our differences, but rather on our familial bond with all people. Man, if we would really grasp this truth and this principle, it could transform us. So maybe you're ready to take that second step today, and that's to recognize that we all belong to the same human family and celebrate that truth. Now, within the body of Christ, the same is true. We need to recognize that we all belong to the same Savior and celebrate that truth instead of denominational distinctives. You know, Judy and I have been a part of a lot of different churches and a lot of different denominations, and the one thing that's, that brings me hope and, and encouragement is the fact that every one of those churches that we were a part of believed the same thing about who Jesus is and what he came to earth to do. It's the gospel. That's what we need to be focusing on because that's part of the Great Commission, what God's called us to as his followers. Paul writes about this truth to the Galatian believers. He says this in chapter 3, verses 26 to 29. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For all of you were baptized into Christ, uh, who, who were baptized into Christ, have clothed yourself with Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Now, while we covenant with the United Brethren in Christ denomination, we should be willing to um, cooperate with and partner with other evangelical churches that preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. 
And we did do that this summer with the revival on the farm. We do that every time we go to the Upper Adams Food Pantry down in Biglerville. When we serve at the Gettysburg Soup Kitchen, when we do any kind of service with other churches, we're doing just that. And so I want to thank you for, for doing that and being a part of that. Principle number three is this. God has a purpose for the nations to fulfill. As we continue to study Genesis, we'll see how God chose one nation to fulfill his promise to send a Savior to redeem all mankind. He chose Abraham and his line to bring about the birth of Jesus. Wearsby says God also used Egypt, Babylon, Assyria, Media Persia, and Rome to accomplish his purposes with reference to the Jewish people. God can use pagan rulers like Nebuchadnezzar, Cyrus, Darius, and even Augustus Caesar. We know from uh, the Israelites' uh, experience that they had war and exile at the hands of other nations. And this is a repeated cycle throughout the Old Testament when they turned away from the Lord and worshipped idols. And God would punish their rebellion by sending them into exile until they recognized him and repented. And then he would restore them to the promised land. We also know that the New Testament, in the New Testament, that, the, that they, uh, God used the Roman Empire to bring about the death of Jesus by crucifixion, which fulfilled prophecy so that we might be saved. God still punishes our rebellion against him. The writer of Hebrews quotes Proverbs chapter 3, verses 11 and 12. He says this, My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline, and do not lose heart when he rebukes you, because the Lord disciplines those he loves, and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. So when God's punishing you, embrace that. Recognize what he's trying to do. Submit to him. Solomon had been visited by the Lord after he completed the temple of the Lord. The Lord then reminds Solomon that when he stops the rain and, and sends locusts to destroy the crops, and when he sends a plague among the people, that it's to discipline them for their rebellion. But he tells Solomon what the people must do in order to restore their relationship with him. And we see it in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14. If my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven and will forgive their sin and will heal their land. Maybe that's a step you need to take today. And it's our third one is do my part by humbling myself, praying, seeking God's face and turning from my wicked ways so that God will heal our land. We may not understand what is happening nationally or globally, but we can trust in the fact that God has a purpose for the nations to fulfill. And the final principle is this, God is concerned for all the nations. God's desire is that all nations come to know and serve him. We see this in, in Psalm uh, 67 and, um, 66 and 67. I'll get it out. We're going to just look at the first eight verses in, in 66 and then all of 67. This is what it says. Shout with joy to God all the earth. There it is. Sing the glory of his name. Make his praise glorious. Say to God, how awesome are your deeds. So great is your power that your enemies cringe before you. All the earth bows down to you. He's the God of the nations. They sing praise to you. They sing praise to your name. Selah. Come and see what God has done. How awesome his works in man's behalf. He turned the sea into dry land. They passed through uh, the waters on foot. Come, let us rejoice in him. He rules forever by his power. His eyes watch the nations. He's concerned about the nations. 
Let not the rebellious rise up against him. Selah. Praise our God, O peoples. Let the sound of his praise be heard. And then if you look at uh, Psalm 67, just the seven verses there, this is what God's word says. May God be gracious to us and bless us and make his face shine upon us. Selah. That your ways may be known on earth, your salvation among all nations. May the people praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. May the nations be glad and sing for joy, for you rule the peoples justly and guide the nations of the earth. Selah. May the peoples praise you, O God. May all the peoples praise you. Then the land will yield its harvest, and God, our God, will bless us. God will bless us, and all the ends of the earth will fear him. We also know from uh, the New Testament in Matthew uh, chapter 28, verses 18 to 20, that God is concerned uh, about all people, all nations. When he says this, Jesus is speaking to his disciples before he ascends to heaven. He says, Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. That's the Great Commission. That's what God has called us to as followers of Jesus Christ, is that commission. And so maybe... The, next, the final next step today is for you. It's to ask the Lord how and where he wants me to accomplish his great commission. We have one opportunity to do that just through taking one of those packets that Judy talked about, giving it to somebody, encouraging them to come, being a part of Vacation Bible School or CEF's day camp. There's so many other ways, just simply talking to people about what Jesus has done for you. Maybe he's calling some of you to go overseas, to work in another country with another people group that he cares about. As we just review, do you need to remember today that God is in control? He's the God of the nations. Are you celebrating the truth that every human being is family? Are you doing your part to bring God's healing to our land? And then what should we um, what part should we be playing to accomplish the Great Commission as a body of believers? Warren Wearsby says this in closing, Noah's three sons left a mixed, mixed legacy to the world, but the Lord of the nations was still in charge, and history is still his story. Isn't that wonderful? This is God. He's accomplishing his purpose, and that's the redemption of humanity. He is the God of the nations, and we can rejoice in that today. Would you just bow your heads with me as we close in prayer and as the worship team comes? Lord, we just come to you today and, and confess that too often we are feeling insecure and fearful because of what's going on in, in our nation and around the world. And we confess to you today that we don't trust in you like we should. Lord, strengthen us to do just that. Lord, we confess today that we don't always look at every people group as family. But we allow negative thoughts and feelings to enter our hearts and minds. We confess that before you today. Lord, um, we thank you for how you fulfill your purpose through various nations 
And I pray, Lord God, that we would humble ourselves, that we would pray, that we would seek your face, that we would turn from our wicked ways, that you would heal our land. Come by your Holy Spirit now and work in hearts and minds that might be transformed. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.